you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. The reading is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, what a glory it is to dwell in your presence to lift our eyes and see that most holy night where your light broke on through and filled this earth with love. We stand in awe of you. We ask that now as we fix our eyes to your word, that you'd help us see Jesus. Would you strip away all that is not of you Enlarge our hearts. Fill us, we pray, that we would celebrate Jesus this Christmas. We pray this for our good. Pray that for the good of our friends and our family. We pray this for your glory. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. And all of God's people said with one super loud voice. Amen, amen. Can we thank the band once more? I mean, so beautiful. And all our volunteers. Thank you, Abigail. Thank you, guys. So wonderful that we can be together uh, to celebrate Christmas. If you're new or visiting, joining us online, uh, my name's Guy. It's my joy and privilege to serve uh, as the pastor of City on Hill, lead pastor of City on Hill, a church committed to knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. It's been great to see a few gifts uh, being shared uh, around. Who has already done their Christmas shopping by show of hands? All right. Who is like going to leave at the last minute? Come on. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, speaking of Christmas gifts, uh, about uh, a few weeks ago, I was in the US and I was there for some work and study and had been away from my four kids and my wife uh, for a couple of weeks and was really missing them and thought, you know, I should buy them uh, a few gifts to come home just to say that I miss you and care for you. And uh, it's always hard though, isn't it? Trying to think about what do you buy someone, right? That's someone you care about. What are you going to get them that make them happy? What do, you, what do you buy? And so here I am in the US and I'm thinking about what kind of gifts I need to bring when a message message comes on my iPhone from my wife, Vanessa. And the message says, hi, dad, which is unusual. Vanessa, my wife, doesn't usually refer to me as dad. And it turns out that it was a message from my youngest daughter. I've got four kids. My youngest daughter, Lily, 
who's six years old, super cute, loves Christmas, and as you can tell, has great taste, like her dad when it comes to shirts. So Lily sends me this message. She says, hi, Dad. I'm like, hi, Lily. How are you? She says, I miss you. And I said, I miss you too. And then she just like spams me with like heart emojis and cat emojis and every other emoji. And then eventually I say, "Um, Lily, I'm hoping to buy you a little gift while I'm away to bring home. What would you like me to buy you? And then that little icon comes up that tells you someone's writing a message And it goes on and on and on. And so now I'm starting to worry, like, oh my gosh, what is she putting down here? There's going to be so much a list of everything. She wants her own iPhone. She wants cats. I don't know. What does she want? Well, funny enough, she sends through not a message, uh, sorry, not a a text message. She sends through an audio message. How a six-year-old knows how to record a voice message and send it through on her mom's phone, I have no idea. But it was the cutest thing I think I have ever heard. I thought I'd share it with you. What do you want me to bring you, Lily? She says. It doesn't matter, Daddy. I don't care what you bring me. It's who you bring back. Dad, it's you that I want. Isn't that cute? Immediately I wrote back and said, Lily, that is the most beautiful thing anyone's ever said. Did mum tell you to say that? Apparently not. Apparently not. But I love hearing that and being reminded of that because it it, it captures, doesn't it, what really matters. You know, when it comes to friends, when it comes to family, it's not ultimately, is it, about the gifts we buy. It's not what you bring, but who you bring. And of course, isn't that true when it comes to this season we celebrate called Christmas? Christmas is not ultimately about the trees and the sparkling lights. It's it's not ultimately about the gift that you buy. All of those things are great, and we celebrate those things. They're great things. But in the end, it's not what you bring that makes Christmas so special. It's who God brings. It's Jesus that we want. It's all about Jesus. That's what makes Christmas so special. That's why I'm so thankful for this service and the songs we get to enter into and the passage that's before us today. Because here, amidst our Christmas season, amidst our running and present buying and feasting and family, amidst all of that, God lifts our eyes to see Jesus for who Jesus truly is. He says to us, note these words, for in him... That's Jesus. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I'm convinced that Jesus is not just true news, but good news of great joy for all who believe. And this morning we have an opportunity to reflect on Jesus. And I want you to see the Jesus We get to celebrate this Christmas. I've got three observations I'd love to share with you. First, in Jesus, we meet the God who reveals. Right? So so note this text, uh, Colossians 1.19. We've been walking through Colossians the last month or so, seeing uh, the Bible unpack who Jesus is. We've already discovered that uh, in Him all things were created and that He holds all things. Everything in this world finds its origin in Jesus and Jesus is the one who holds all things. In verse 19, which is where we are today, 
the Apostle Paul unveils our eyes to another breathtaking reality about Jesus. Let's have a look at it again. He says, In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now, you might like to underscore, highlight the word fullness, because it's a translation of the ancient Greek word pleroma. And that speaks of God's abundance, right? God's abundance. So, for example, in Mark chapter 10, we read of this miracle moment with Jesus where he's out in a field and there's literally 5,000 people following him, listening to his teaching. And yet they've been following him for so many days that they're hungry and all the shops are closed and no one's got any food. So this is like desperate search for some food. And this little boy comes up to Jesus offering his lunchbox, He says, maybe you could use this, Jesus. And there's some bread in there. There's some fish in there. Maybe there's a few mince pies in there. And Jesus takes this little boy's lunchbox. He prays. He blesses the food and transforms it into what? An abundant feast. An abundant feast. A feast that uh, Mark says that everybody in the crowd, they ate and they were satisfied. In fact, he goes on to say that even after they ate and were satisfied, there were 12 baskets that were full and overflowing with food. You know what's cool? The same word that Mark uses to describe those baskets that were full and overflowing is the exact same word that we have in Colossians verse 19, right? In other words, when we talk about Jesus, we are talking about the fullness of God. We're not talking about a man who had a part of God in his life or a piece of God in his life. No, the Bible is making the bold claim that when it comes to Jesus, God's presence is full and overflowing. I want you to think about that. The fullness of God's joy. The fullness of God's love. The fullness of God's power and glory, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. Another way of saying that is there is nothing in God that wasn't in Jesus. Or to put that positively, everything that is in God and is in fact God was, is, and will always be in Jesus. Fully man, fully God. That's who we come before this Christmas. And I want you to know that that good news heralds so much that is practical and relevant for our life. For example, it tells us, the birth of Jesus tells us that God, God himself knows what it's like to be human. He knows what it's like to be you, what it's like to be us. He's lived it, right? So one of my favorite artists is Johnny Cash. Any Johnny Cash fans? All right, a lot of us, good stuff, right? So uh, interesting dude, a bit of a wildlife, a lot of drugs, alcohol, then finds Jesus and lives for him. He actually toured around with Billy Graham at one point, which must have been amazing. Billy Graham preaching, Johnny Cash leading in worship, amazing. One of my favorite albums, uh, one of his most popular albums, uh, was recorded live. He goes into Folsom Prison and records live at Folsom Prison, which was his hard uh, prison, maximum security, I think it was 1963, around Christmas. And I love that. You know, he's this established artist, but he doesn't kind of stay in the comfort of his own recording studio or some private suite in LA. He says, no, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go and enter all the way in through those prison gates. In fact, he records it 
in the heart of the dining hall. Right? I love that. He's not just singing to them. He is singing with them and he is singing for them. Here's what's amazing about Christmas. Jesus does one better. In Jesus, God enters all the way in. He enters all the way in. He puts on our flesh. He wears our clothes. He lives in our skin. He embraces our humanity. Jesus went through the prison yard, went into the dining hall. He became one of us. Now, what does that mean? Well, think about it. It means you can't look at Jesus and say, well, he doesn't know what I've experienced. You can't look at Jesus and say, well, he doesn't know what it's like to feel alone at Christmas. He doesn't know what it's like to struggle at Christmas. Of course he does. Jesus has lived our life. In fact, he lived it on our behalf, entering into our humanity in its fullness. When it says he's fully God and fully man, it means he experienced the fullness of our humanity. And not only that, when I think about Jesus, when you see Jesus this Christmas, is not only a recognition that he understands our life, but he now shows you how life was intended to be lived. The fullness of God dwelt in Jesus. If that is true, and I'm convinced it is, then we can expect to see a full and flourishing life in Jesus. He lived a full and flourishing life. Life. Does that mean he had like abundant cash and lived in penthouse suites? No, and that's the point. Because in Jesus, you see a life that transcends this world. You see a life that's built around dependence upon God, a life marked by generosity, a life marked by care and compassion and truth telling. Let me tell you if you're looking for direction in your life as you go into the next year, and think about where you want to be and who you want to become. Don't look to the world. Don't be discipled by TikTok. <laughs> look to Jesus. Look to the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Come, follow me. Follow Jesus. Because in Jesus, God, humanity is fully revealed. This leads to the second point. In Jesus, you know what else we discover? He is the God um, who reconciles. He is the God who reconciles. Listen to this. Paul says, In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. That word reconcile is a really, really important one because it sits at the heart of the Christian faith. Right? Reconciliation. Uh, what are we talking about? We're talking about people who put aside their differences, cross barriers, and, and, and make amends. And that can be true of, like, a, let's say, a father and a son who haven't talked in years. That could be true of a, two girls who've been best friends but have fallen apart. That could be true of a marriage. I mean, it's putting aside those differences and saying, you know what, I, I want to make this right. I want to put this right. So it has this relational dimension. You know what else? When we talk about reconciliation, it also has a financial tone to it as well. There's a financial context. Do we have any accountants here today? 
They're gonna, actually going to raise their hand. <laughs> I understand. Hey, <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Accountants are not just the life of every Christmas party. Um, accountants, what do they do? They balance the books. They, they reconcile uh, budgets. They look out for any outstanding debt or any errors to make sure it's, it's accurate. So this is really interesting because actually in the Bible, both of those aspects to reconciliation ring true. There's a relational piece, right? First thing we discover in the Bible is that God made you and me to be in relationship with him. Do you know that? Not only God made you, like that's just breathtaking in itself, but he made you to be in a relationship with him. Uh, it's, and he's actually to be first in your life. It's not to say that your, your marriage or your parenting or your, your mates or your jobs or your hobby aren't, are irrelevant, but at the heart of all of that, what is most important to, to Christian is our relationship with God. We're always trying to put God first. Why? Because God is the essence of light. So in him, we learn how to make decisions and choose our path. He's our light to our feet. Uh, he's our life. In other words, he doesn't just give us physical existence, but he gives us meaning and purpose and, and satisfaction. And of course, he is in essence and nature eternally love. So in him, we find our true, deep, steadfast, secure love, a love that enables people to weather every storm that comforts and holds us. So you're made to be in a relationship with God, but one of the tragic things we read about in the scripture is that Adam and Eve, our first parents, turned their back on God and they walked away. They became greedy. They became self-indulgent. Uh, they swallowed a lie. And so instead of light, they chose a world of darkness and ambiguity and stumbling and fumbling. Instead of life, they plunged into a world of death. Death wasn't supposed to be in this world, but here we are. They ran from his love, thinking they could find a better love in the world. Instead, they found fear and uncertainty and insecurity. Whenever the Bible talks about this sin, that's kind of like the biblical word to describe that walking away, you need to appreciate that that sin comes with a cost. In fact, another way the Bible talks about it is that there's like a spiritual debt that we rack up. So it's not just like we're apart from God, separated from him, but we're in a spiritual debt before God. Uh, this, this week, I actually, my wife uh, got me onto this great podcast, um, which I just like swallowed up, all seven episodes. It was excellent. It's called The Glitch, and I encourage you to have a listen for most of it. Um, it tells a true story of an Aussie bartender named Dan Saunders, and he's being interviewed. And Dan's like your everyday Aussie bloke. He works at a, um, was working at a pub in Wangaratta. He's got like two cents next to his name. And uh, he's got to shout the round of drinks. He's got nothing in his wallet. So he goes to the local NAB ATM. It's like midnight. Punches in a few numbers. There's a bit of a glitch as he's doing this. He's able to withdraw some money, discovers the next morning that the money he withdrawn, uh, he'd, he'd taken from the ATM didn't appear on his record. It was like free money. So he goes back the next night, does the same thing, follows the same pattern. Again, 
More money out, no record. He realizes he has discovered a magical ATM. <laughs> so suppose you are at that NAB ATM and you have this free money coming out. What would you do? Well, Dan uh, heads out on a wild expedition for four months, and he withdraws and spends an eye-watering $1.6 million. Uh, he books out penthouse suites for his mates at Crown. He hosts all-night parties with endless women and booze. He eats at the most expensive restaurants, drinks the most expensive champagne. And what's interesting is hearing how uh, things escalate in terms of what he buys and what he spends. So at the start, he's like, tells his mates to get on a, a train from Wangaratta to, to Melbourne. Uh, but then he realized, hang on, we don't need to go on trains. Let's get taxis. We can get taxis. Let's do that. So they buy taxis. Then someone's like, this is boring. Why don't we just hire a car? We can get a Ferrari. So they're hiring Ferraris and they're in limousines. Then they, you know, you know what? This is all taking too much time. Let's get our own chopper. And then they're in a private jet and then they're off to all these exotic islands spending money at Will, my favorite moment, I don't want to give too many spoilers, but my favorite moment is when they put a sign in the foyer of NAB near a local bar saying, free drinks for all NAB uh, workers. <laughs> and so the place is full with all these bankers drinking and drinking, not realizing that the money paid for those drinks came from the very bank that he sold that money from. <laughs> Crazy. Now, I know for a lot of you, like, that would be the dream scenario, <laughs> Like, wouldn't money solve all of my problems this Christmas? Wouldn't that be great? I could just do whatever I want, buy whatever I want, shout whatever. But what's interesting is that as he spirals up and up in spending, so he spirals down and down into a sense of anxiety and stress. And, and, and he has to go to this, for it to work, he has to go to this ATM every single night at midnight, sets an alarm. He becomes like a slave to the clock. And he gets anxious about what's going on and all that he's spending. He develops this twitch in his eye that he can't escape. Every morning, he says, he wakes up in a sweat of uh, a pool of sweat out of fear that someone's coming for him. He has to actually go to his day spa, which he can afford, every morning. <laughs> every morning. Because he's in this constant state of trauma. Why? Because in his heart of hearts, he knew that what he was doing was wrong. In his heart of hearts, he knew that... This wasn't good for him or everybody else. In his heart of hearts, he knew that at any moment, someone would come knocking. It's a fascinating story that actually clues us all into the nature of what the Bible calls sin. Right? I mean, let's be honest. Sin is very appealing. It really is. Uh, Garden of Eden, the fruit is what? Pleasing to their eyes. So whatever your taste of fruit, whatever fruit you prefer, it's true that our hearts gravitate to things in the world. We, we enjoy running from God and indulging in our flesh. We enjoy kind of suppressing the truth about God and living as if God doesn't exist. I can just do whatever I want. But as I shared and as the Bible shows, this racks up a spiritual debt. The ATM of pride... The ATM of lust, the ATM of self-righteousness, the ATM of injustice and self-service, it racks up spiritual debt. What's the cost of that debt? Well, the Bible doesn't mince its words. It's very clear. It says, the wages of sin is death. 
So whenever you or I yield to sin, we become a slave to death. We die spiritually, emotionally, and in the end, outside of Christ, we die eternally. But this is what makes Christmas and the birth of Jesus so flipping awesome. Look again. God was pleased to dwell in Jesus, and through him to, what's that word? Reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Such a contrast of imagery here. Jesus, Christmas, fullness of God, blood, cross. Remarkably, that's the good news of the gospel. The wages of sin is death. Christ pays for it with his blood, a blood on a cross. He was forsaken so that our reckless living, so that our self-righteousness, so that our $1.6 million spiritual debt paid in full. If that's true, and I'm convinced it is, then you don't need to be a slave to this world anymore. You don't need to be running from one experience to the next. You don't need to be hiding from God, living in fear, held back by anxiety and distance and separation. No, this Christmas, Jesus is saying, come, I've paid your debt. I've cleared your record. I've done everything that's necessary for you to come home and know me. So instead of fear, you get love. Instead of anxiety, you get peace. Instead of separation, we are brought home to the Father. I, uh, I remember about five years ago, around Christmas time, having a holiday with my wife and four kids in Byron Bay. Um, uh, the house belonged to Andy Judd, who's a, a part of City on a Hill, uh, his dad. And uh, uh, Andy Judd's a good friend, Steph Judd's a good friend, and so his dad was very kind. We didn't know him that well, but very kind enough to say, you can stay at my house in Byron Bay free of charge. Like, wow, this is amazing. So we get the four kids in the car, we drive up, we stay there, and I tell the kids, don't touch anything. Don't touch a thing. And for a while, the holiday was going perfectly, and the kids were obedient. And then Vanessa went out for the afternoon, some peace and quiet. I thought, you know what? I trust my kids. <laughs> I can go into the bedroom, read a book. Kids, don't touch anything, but just enjoy. Well, earlier that day, I had brought in a heavy wooden cane basket and placed it by the door in the TV room. My eldest son, Zach, who's like eight or nine at the time, looks at that wooden heavy cane basket and says, hmm, I know what I can do. Hey, Lily, get in puts Lily in the wooden cane basket, grabs the wooden cane basket, and drags it on the uh, polished floorboards like this. And he's like, oh, this is awesome. It's like, F1, here we go, right? He does like five laps, at which point his eight-year-old brain decides to look back, and he's like, uh-oh, this is not good. He stops. His younger brother, Jacob, says, my turn. <laughs> 
You know what happens when you drag a heavy cane wooden basket on nice polished floorboards? Chaos. Chaos, right? And the reason I know about this is because I'm in the room reading my you know, lovely classical book, and uh, I hear Vanessa, she comes home, she walks into the lounge room and just screams, screams at the top of her lungs. You could hear it in Melbourne, Tasmania, who knows, it just went on. <laughs> so I rush in, and I'm trying to be the peacemaker. I'm like, don't worry, Vanessa, ah, uh, we can fix this. I can fix this, right? I can fix this. So I just get on my phone, I start Googling how to fix polished floorboards that are ruined. Up pops like a thousand how-to guides, which would have been great if I had any skill in carpentry, but I'm not Jesus. I've just not... I'm not, I can't. And so like I'm trying, you know, doing all of this and nothing's happening. It's like deep scratches all throughout. And as I realize that these scratches cannot be taken away, that sinking feeling just enters your gut. You've had a great holiday and all of it just, and you're like embarrassed inside. You're humiliated and you're thinking about, oh my gosh, what's the dad going to say? What's Andy? What does this mean for our friendship? Which of our kids do we now need to sell off? <laughs> so I go to bed that night, and, and that's right, I'm slumping into painstaking effort to type an email to Andy's dad, basically explaining what a bunch of morons we are, and go to bed just waiting for the wrath to call. Um, I wake up the next morning, and there's an email in my inbox, and I read it with like one eye closed, like... <laughs> This is what, he, what, what he's, he said. Andy's dad says, <clears throat> No need for embarrassment. Floors, like cars, are not precious in my view and are to be enjoyed, not worried about damaging. I'm simply pleased the kids are having a good time. The floors are due for a sand and polish, and we'll take care of that. All is good. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no threats, no get out of my house right now. <laughs> No massive debt to pay, just a simple, calm message, all is good. Isn't it funny how a message like that changes the temperature? Our mood lifted, the kids knew they were off the hook, we relaxed, and I remember Vanessa and I looking to each other, uh, to each other and I said, you know what this is? And she says, yeah, grace. It's an experience of Grace. And I share that with you because I think at Christmas time we can forget the grace that has come to us in Jesus. If you'd only take a moment to look back on your last 12 months, and if you're an honest person, as I know you are, you'd be able to see that there are moments in your life this year where you have fallen short of what God wants you to be, of who you perhaps want to be. You've made mistakes. You have indulged yourselves in ways that you know the Bible doesn't want you to. You've done heaps of things. And sometimes we can cling to that, or worse, hide that and separate ourselves from God. The good news of the gospel, listen, is Jesus has come to reconcile us. He has come to put away our sin, to make it all good. He paid the price. He cleared the debt. He brings you home. He brings you home for all who are lost, for all who are wandering, for all who are feeling the weight of their debt. This Christmas, would you put your trust in Jesus? The God in Jesus, we meet the God who reveals, the God who reconciles. Finally, and this is a really, really important but closing point, in Jesus, we meet the one who restores. 
reveals, reconciles, and restores. Uh, look, look one last time at this, this, this verse. In him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. What's interesting here is that the word reconcile can also be translated restore. He has come to restore all things. In other words, he's not just, though significant as it reconciling us to God, that sits at the heart of it, but bigger than that is him restoring all things. In heaven and on earth, creation and everything we see, Jesus entered the stage of human history to restore it all. Now, when I think of the word or read the word restore, my mind immediately kind of jumps to the image of mechanics restoring an old or broken down car. I was actually in Chicago a month or so back and visited Willow Creek Church. It's this huge, huge church, one of the biggest churches in America. They've got like two stadiums. They've got their own food court, their own lake. I mean, it's just massive. And one of the rooms, however, that actually impressed me was this uh, garage on the church property. Um, this garage that had about five, six, seven cars hoisted up on those things, whatever there, there's tires there. There's a bunch of like eight or nine blokes. Most of them, they're kind of retirement years who used to be mechanics who are volunteering their time to restore these cars. I found out later that these cars belonged to people in the community who had fallen on tough times, people who lost their jobs, people who were going through a separation or a divorce, people who couldn't pay their bills. And so these guys said, don't worry about your car. That's the last thing you need to worry about. We will fix them. We will restore them so they're like new. It's a great image because it helps us grasp who Jesus is and why Jesus came. This world is broken. It's beautiful, but it's broken. Right? I mean, we're used to this world, obviously, and we think, well, this is how things always are. But actually, it's not true. There was a time where the world was full and overflowing of light and color and creation was free from any tsunamis, any disease, any uh, loneliness, any divorce, any death. It was free from all of those things. Humans, we, we loved each other, cared for each other. We dwelt as one together. But of course, with the fall, Adam and Eve sinned, their greed and pride, they not only separated, walked out from God, but plunged creation into chaos and despair. The Bible says it's frustrated, held in futility and frustration ever since. That's why every good thing that we might see or touch or experience in life fades so quickly. That's why we gravitate to wonderful celebrations like Christmas, because it gives us a taste of the former life, the, the former garden. Christmas was never intended to end. Life was never intended to end. We were to enjoy God and His creation forever. And yet now we struggle in life. Now there's disappointment in life. Now the good things can so easily crumble and become the bad things. We suffer sickness and disease, alienation and despair and doubt. We're constantly questioning ourselves, questioning other people, questioning God. 
And here, Jesus enters the stage of human history saying, I have come to restore all that's been decreated. I shall recreate and make new. Think about the miracles, right? I love reading about the miracles in the Gospels. Jesus turns water into wine. The Jesus who comes up to a man who was born blind, rejected by society, and he lays his hands on him, and he's healed, he can see. What about Lazarus, Jesus' own good mate, and Jesus there weeping over his death, and then no sooner is he weeping that he prays for him, and Lazarus comes to new life, and everyone's in awe, seeing the glory of God, and you say, what are all these miracles about? It's not Jesus just flexing his spiritual muscle. It's not Jesus just showing us how powerful he is, though he is all-powerful. No, it's Jesus cluing you in on the purpose of God being realized and fulfilled in Jesus. The evil one comes to divide and destroy. Jesus came to this world to bring life to reconcile, to restore and make all things new. This week, um, as the band uh, gets ready to, to come up, I was chatting to Pete. Oh, Pete Stevens sent a message. Um, Pete is a, uh, a gospel leader who helped plant our most recent church in the suburb of Whittington, which is in the Geelong area. And uh, some of you may know that Whittington is kind of known for its um, uh, high unemployment. Uh, low socioeconomic status, a lot of people in the community navigating difficulty and addictions and drugs. And here's this new church that we've been able to plant and Pete's leading, uh, trying to shine a light for Jesus. And this week, they hosted their very first Christmas carol service and over 90 people from the local community came out to sing songs. And uh, Pete was so encouraged by that and he sends this message through and he says that, um, that that wasn't the best bit. Pete says, my favorite moment was when Santa came. I think we've got an image here of Pete uh, with Santa there. Uh, He says, this guy uh, in the suit has actually been into drugs, crime, and prison most of his life. Uh, His mother was a drug addict, uh, ended up in prostitution to kind of help fund her, her habit. His sister Uh, was a drug addict as well. This is a guy who's just lived a very difficult life, surrounded by some challenging circumstances, has been in and out of prison. Uh, But here's what's amazing. About this time last year, uh, Santa uh, went into a rehab program. And there, he hears about Jesus and starts to explore Jesus for himself. Uh, He then had to spend some more time in prison for some previous crimes, and while he was in prison, Peter and the church sent him a Bible. And he's reading in the Gospels about Jesus, about his miracles, about the fullness of God, about his reconciliation, about the restoration. He says, you know what? It's time to follow Jesus. It's time to give my life to him. Remarkably, this year was his first Christmas not in prison for many years. And what's really cool is that Jesus has not only restored this man's life and put the pieces back together, but is actually now using him to make a difference in the life of others. 
Pete says, The fact that he was willing to volunteer to be Santa is such an evidence of God's work in his life. To then hear Santa tell all the children that Christmas was not about him, but about Jesus. Oh, it was a special moment. And to top it off, he had his son with him. They don't live together, you see. And so far, any event of any description on church property is too close to church. His carer just wouldn't let him come. But tonight, tonight, his son got to see him be Santa and to hear that little snippet of gospel truth. Man, this is why I love the church. This is why I love Jesus. Because Jesus comes to make all things new. And so as we prepare to sing again, let me share an invitation. Uh, For those of you here or joining us online who perhaps have seen God at a distance, you you, you believe in Him, but He's just out there. He's not here. For those of you who feel distant from God, and I want you to know there's an invitation right now to come home. Maybe you have lived a life where God has been an afterthought. Maybe you've thrown yourself at some things. You know what? You regret. Jesus came to pay the price, to live for you, to die, to rise. But all that separated you from God could be put away and you could come home. This Christmas, you can be reconciled to God, your maker, the one who formed you, the one who loves you, the one who knows you. You can be reconciled to Him. If you want to know what it means to follow Jesus today, to put your trust in Him, then please come and chat to a member of our prayer team, someone at the welcome desk. Come and chat to myself. We'd love to help you take those first steps and trust in this Jesus who came to reconcile. And for those of us who are already in Jesus, who know this Jesus, let me also encourage you not only to celebrate the reconciliation we have, but to now join Jesus in His restorative work in this world. Jesus is restoring all things. He's doing it right now, and a day will come where it will be fulfilled. And He invites us to be part of His work in this world. So we don't just celebrate the good news, we participate in sharing the good news. Where there's darkness, we provide light. Where someone is feeling alone, we want to offer friendship. When you hear of someone who's sick this Christmas, we want to be there offering a meal, praying for healing. Where you're chatting with someone and you hear them circling in self-doubt and self-rejection, we want to proclaim the promises of God. His wholeness, His healing. Where someone is spiraling in the world, giving themselves over to the world, we want to point to the beauty, truth, relevance of Jesus. He is good news of great joy for all who believe. Let's stand as we go to Him in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank You for the good news of the gospel that we receive today and we pray that we could take hold of it. We thank you that there are no limits to the life and light we are called to shine. Help us to keep loving Jesus. Help us to keep following Jesus. Help us to keep serving and giving like Jesus. Help us 
to keep pointing others to Jesus. We thank you that in Him, you reveal the truth of this world, our lives, and your glory and your power. We thank you that you reconcile us and are right now restoring all things. We worship you and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.